You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch. And today we're absolutely excited to be talking to Sterling uh, Hawkins, who's just launched his new book. Uh, but before we get into that, we also have a special guest along with us on this Retail Perch episode. That's uh, you know a name that we speak about often on this uh, podcast, Gary, but don't often get to see on the screen here. So welcome, Stephanie. That's right. We, we, we brought her up from behind the curtain. I feel That's so right. special, so and, special. You know, and given the fact that we're going to be talking about Sterling's latest book, Hunting Discomfort, we thought it would be appropriate to bring Stephanie up into this episode. So I know, I do just the right amount of these to continually feel discomfort a little bit every time I do it. You're doing it right, Stephanie. <laughs> You're doing it right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, welcome, Sterling. You're no stranger to the retail perch, and we're glad to glad to have you back. I know last time we were good to be here. here. What a great conversation, and we thought it was, uh, you know, I saw this book coming up, and uh, I was excited about the title. I think it's a terrific title. I think Thank you. Uh, it speaks to so many things. But uh, we want you to kind of jump into it, give us a little background. I, I love your first chapter, by the way. I mean, oh, good. <laughs> well, that's. I had countless people help me edit it, review it, uh, Dad, you being one of them, to kind of get all of that framed out. In the first chapter, I don't know if you know this, Shaker, but I learned as part of the editing process that if somebody finishes the first chapter, there's something like 90% more likely to finish the book. If they don't get it through that, you don't have a shot. So I, I think we're starting on the right foot anyways. That's fantastic. No, I, I love the way you set the scene about you standing by the stage getting ready to go up and your shirt soaking up and your suit covering <laughs> up your <soap> <laughs> Right, right. right. And, and a, a little bit of background. So my whole professional life had fallen apart. Personal life had fallen apart. Um, and one of the things that scared me most, at least at the time, believe it or not, was public speaking. And there was something I just intuitively knew from this thing my mom used to say. She said, the way out is through. And I thought, you know what, if that's right, then I've got to go through the things that scare me most, that I'm most embarrassed about, uh, most fearful of, if I want to transform the situation that I'm in. And so I put myself in this situation in Singapore to give this keynote talk. And you said it. Before I got on stage, I experienced a level of discomfort that was disorienting. You know, you ever been in a position where like the room starts to spin and you get really hot and you're not quite sure where you are anymore? Like that kind of discomfort. And I got up on the stage and it's a good thing I practiced because I'm pretty sure I blacked out. I don't remember giving the rest of that talk. Right. But I, I get off the stage and um, the conference director is making a beeline for me and I'm kind of covering my eyes because I think I bombed. And he, he seeks me out and he goes, Sterling, that's the best talk I've seen in my 17 years of doing this. To this day, I, I cannot believe he was in the same talk I gave. Like it could not have been that good. There's no way. But he did put me in touch with all of his conference director friends. I was like, you know what? My mom is right. The way out is through. And since that moment, I've 
gotten into all sorts of research and case studies and history and brain science and everything else and found that there's something very special about discomfort. Most of the time people come to me, especially after seeing the title of the book and they're like, Sterling, you got to look at my business, my relationships, my bank accounts. Like I don't need to hunt discomfort. I'm surrounded by it. And my answers are always the same. And it's really the point of this book, which is you're not hunting discomfort. You're living with it. And it's how most people spend their lives and run their businesses. When you hunt discomfort, as we can get into like the full body of the book, it's about ultimately forever freeing yourself from discomfort. And there's this paradoxical thing with the more you find discomfort, the more you seek it out, the less you actually experience it and the better the results you get. That's, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, you talk about discomfort being like a feedback system, right? Kind of. It is. I I, I think it's such a great way to look at it. And I think obviously you've had a lot to learn from this gentleman next to me in the virtual studio. Um, Right. The the man that's written three books and has been through this crazy process more times (laughs) than I can even imagine through his share of discomfort (laughs) and, you know, plowing through it and uh, getting to where he is. So, so what, so, so why a book? What what motivated you to write a book? Well, there are five main kinds of discomfort that stop everybody. I would say that no matter how much money you have, how much you want a particular result, even how hard you work, if you're not willing to go through and address at least one, if not several of those core discomforts, you're not going to produce any breakthrough results. You might get incrementally better, but it won't be much more than that. And it could possibly be a decline as well. And, you know, I'm on this journey very much myself. And in the middle of the pandemic, I caught myself People have been telling me for years to write a book. You know, I've been keynote speaking now five, six years, something like that. And I get off the stage and I say, Sterling, you got to turn that into a book and we want to work with you. And can we buy a bunch of copies? And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll do it later. And I found one of these discomforts through the pandemic. And I realized, wait a minute, there's two things. One is self-doubt, which is a bigger killer of dreams than um, anything else. Is, is it something that's worthwhile reading? Can I really write a book? Can I go through what's required to produce this thing? And the second was uh, the fear of exposure. You know, are people going to see me or see some of the deeper stories in this book and then look at me in a different way, a lesser way? And, you know, I, I see these discomforts. I'm like, okay, well, then the way out is still only through. And that's where in, you know, a lot of um, guidance from Gary came in to find a publisher and sign the contracts and start putting this thing together. So that's how it started. Yeah, it, it takes a lot to write a book. Uh, you know, not only all the work that goes yeah. into it, but as Sterling just said, I think more than anything else, you're really putting yourself out there, you know, and you're effectively making a big declaration, right? Like, right. you know, I've got something to say. And you just pray that other people think there's (laughs) something to it or it's worthwhile spending a few minutes, a few hours, you know, reading. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, Ted. Does it get easier, the second book, third book? So I think it's a function. I guess the way I'd answer that is the writing process becomes easier Because you know it now, you know what to expect, you know what it's going to take to do it and go through. Yeah. 
the other side of that, the, the confidence factor, in my mind, I think is more a function of, of age. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm more confident in the fact that, hey, I do know some things that yeah. aren't commonly known. I've got some experiences that many people have not had the benefit of, and mm. I can share that. Yeah, right on. And I, I think, you know, I, I found this research that's really consistent with what you just said. Uh, it comes out of the University of Michigan. And they were studying my favorite topic, discomfort of all things, right? And they were looking at different kinds of discomfort, though. They were looking at uh, physical discomfort, like somebody maybe uh, broke a limb or something, emotional discomfort, somebody lost a job or maybe broke up with a significant other, a mental discomfort. And as people are going through these different kinds of discomfort, they were scanning their brains and scanning their body and assessing like, how is this person coping with this from a biological perspective? And what they found blew me away. No matter what kind of discomfort somebody was dealing with, it was processed almost identically by the brain and body. So much so, believe it or not, you can take acetaminophen for uh, emotional discomfort. I, I didn't know that. And, and that's not like a biohack from Sterling, by the way. Like all the disclaimers, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Don't do that. <laughs> don't suggest that. that. Like that's not a healthy way to deal with your emotional discomfort. <laughs> Um, you can take a lot of things for emotional right, and exactly. we wouldn't recommend it. Well, and, and that's the thing. Many of us will take ourselves out of the discomfort and survive it or avoid it or deny it. And when we do that, we don't get the learnings from it. And when we go into that discomfort, no matter where we feel it, building on that University of Michigan research, if how we feel it is about the same everywhere, we can grow our capacity to deal with it anywhere. It's a muscle we can build. You know, you go to the gym to build your biceps. Well, if you want to build your resiliency, your ability to create breakthrough growth, dad, as you were pointing to grow your confidence over time, you hunt discomfort. There's just no other way. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think, you know, everyone, every human being uh, at some point in their life goes through some discomfort, right? right. And, and, you know, occasionally extreme discomfort, right? Yeah. You know, be it emotional trauma, losing a loved one, family member, whatever it might be, losing a job, failing in a business, whatever. But I, I think as much fewer people really learn from that experience. Too many people simply react to it. They, they try to escape it, you know, go have a drink or hot, uh, hot toddy out of their, uh, <laughs> coffee machine. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I or, need or, one or, of those or, machines that's making yeah. hot toddies. Well, next time you're over, I'll give you one Yeah. Uh, or, you know, uh, uh, escape it some other way, but is Sterling as you call out and you do such a great job calling out in the book, those tough experiences are the time where you can really learn and learn more about yourself, learn more about how you react to certain situations and why. And boy, a lot of people have a tough time with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's the tool set or maybe better said the fuel to change, you know, in, in the startup world, especially Shik, I'm sure you've heard this before is like, everybody wants to be the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Like, Oh, I've been through this challenging time and we ran out of money or, you know, we, we have all these challenges we're going to overcome. I'm going to be that Phoenix rising from the ashes. But what many forget is the burning part of that 
And the burning is the discomfort. You're actually having to burn the values, the ethics, the beliefs, the perspectives, the views you have about one of three things, either yourself, somebody or somebody's else, or the world. And as you change your view about those things, you burn away the old view and open up yourself to another one, the phoenix naturally and organically arises. It's not some like hard charging determination where you never change anything and you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting new results. That's the most critical piece. And as I think it really requires courage, vulnerability, bravery, to let go of some of those views, that's where you get these massive new results, either as an individual and through a company culture by extension. No, I love it. I, I completely agree with this. And, and, you know, I think in this book, you talk, there's one thing that caught my eye. You hmm. call it agreement reality. Yeah. Right? And it probably applies to some of our listeners, you know, who are part of, you know, retail companies and they've operated a certain way a certain mm -hmm. for a certain number of years and they're trying to figure out how to disrupt themselves and how to kind of embrace this new future, right? This digital yeah. transformation, there's all these things happening. Yeah. And I think it's very, and it happens to the best of us. You sit in a room and everybody agrees. When you get to agree, you agree yourself. <laughs> you also agree to put yourself in a cocoon, which yeah. is a bubble yes. and a safe space. Yes. So you're not, yeah. you know, venturing beyond your comfort. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you think about groups of people, what does hunting discomfort mean in that perspective? Well, I think we're actually watching it right now, like to make this very real for all of us and all the retailers and you know partners you have listening here. The agreement reality you're listening to, my money is on in your business and in your life is look at this massive inflation, look at the economy, and here's what's going to happen in the decline of our business or how I'm going to uh, manage this downturn. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some hard realities there. Like inflation is a thing that's real. It exists in physics. You can look at numbers on your computer, right? I'm not saying that many businesses are, aren't experiencing a downturn. They, they are. You can see that on paper. But when we all sit in a room and we agree that there's nothing we can do, of course, business is down because of the pandemic, because of inflation, because of supply chain, because we're uh, short of labor. There's nothing we can do. You're literally shooting yourself in the foot. You're boxing yourself into a corner with declining results. And as you can be somebody, again, that's, that's brave enough or built this courage, built that hunting discomfort muscle enough to be able to stand up in that room and say, listen, all those things are true, but that doesn't mean we can't grow during this time. And here's some ideas and let's start to speculate on how we're going to do it. You're going to break that agreement reality. And you're again naturally going to produce some new results. Yeah, and and Stone, one of the things you write about in the book, and obviously, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this, but yeah, your concept construct of I think you called street gang, right? You know, right. surrounding yourself with a handful of people that aren't afraid to tell you what's wrong or call out different things, but in a supportive way, right? right. Because they want you to succeed. And they're willing to say those uncomfortable things that, you know, so many times people are afraid to say. And you wind up back in that room where everybody's saying yes and agreeing yeah, yeah. You know, to whatever bad situation it is. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, there's several roles in the streaking that are really important and they're all necessary to help you break your own status quo or break that agreement reality that you're in, because we're all living in some agreement reality of one form or another, whether it's in our community, our family, or our business. The most critical in that is somebody that's going to hold you accountable. Not like, oh, we're going to chat about it. If I don't do it, they're going to you know, kind of let me off the hook. But I call it a street gang for a reason, not a personal board of directors, not a supportive friend. It's a street gang, somebody that is really cut and dry, is going to go toe to toe with you and hold you accountable to what you said you were going to do and the results you said you were going to produce. Now, again, you may sometimes not be able to hit some of those key metrics or goals that you have. You may not be able to grow same store sales or something as you had originally planned. But that person's not going to say, oh, well, yeah, of course it's inflation. Of course you've had all these problems. Let's, let's figure out how to manage that anyways. They're going to say, no, you said you wanted to increase by 20% or whatever it is. Where did you go wrong? Why did you stop pushing forward? Where are you limiting yourself by excusing and blaming external circumstances that may or may not have anything to do with the results that you can produce? And when you have somebody like that, you're specifically accountable, time, place, person, deliverable, you're not like a little bit more likely to produce the results. It's not like 50%, 60%, 70%. You have somebody you're personally accountable to. You've got the muscle in the street gang. You're 95% more likely to achieve that goal. It's like if any of us want to really achieve anything, we need a street gang. We need somebody holding us accountable to be able to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, Shaker, how many times do you hear excuses from different retailers you talk yeah. to, right? Uh, you know, a reason for this, a reason for that, but always a reason why they can't move forward. They can't implement this. They can't pull the trigger on that. You know, yeah. I, I think retail CEOs and, and C-suite executives uh, would do well to surround themselves with their uh, street gang. Totally. I've just finished reading a book by Tony Fidel called Build. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic book. Uh, this is the guy who uh, invented the Nest thermostat, invented yep. the iPod and the iPhone, and it's got an amazing history. So he talks about a lot of the things that, that kind of mirror what your thought process is here, but he talks about, you know, babysitter CEOs, parent CEOs, mm -hmm. and what he calls... Uh, you know, a parent CEO is somebody who's who's out there looking out, waiting, can't wait for something to grow, right? Right. Whereas a babysitter CEO is more a manager, like right? he's like just wants to make sure things don't go bad, things don't yeah. go crazy. They're not looking for growth, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think so. Coming back to this concept of this agreement reality, and I think you know this is something that I think people who are running organizations face a lot, which is unconsciously they have their own limiting beliefs right, about what they can do as an organization. And, yeah. and you also talk about this concept of expanding your reality, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, those two things make so much sense, which is if you expand your reality, you become more, more aware of what's possible. Yeah. And so the, the possibility realm expands tremendously. Yeah. And then yeah. your limiting beliefs, if you can get rid of them, give you the feeling that I can reach to the expanse of my new reality. Right. Right. But what's what's the process that you see of, you know, but at an individual level and the company level of doing those things? How does somebody actually change their limiting beliefs when you're a, when you're in a company? 
Yeah. Well, so it's an interesting idea to expand your reality, right? I, I think a lot of people talk about it. Social media is full of things that are super positive and encouraging and, you know, expand your reality. You're more than you think. Uh, and John Locke, the philosopher was working on some of the stuff in the 1500s. Like that's long been known and talked about to be the case. The problem is it's not like you can just change your mind, right? If, if we could, we probably would have done that already. Oh, I'm nervous to speak in public, or I'm scared to make that cold call, or I'm scared to commit to my boss that, you know, we're going to grow this department by a certain amount next year. I can't just change my mind and not be scared of those things. What's required is discomfort. Discomfort is the only thing between you and changing the views of yourself, another, or the world. And unless you're willing to go into that discomfort, and explore it inside of yourself. And by explore it, I mean, think about it, feel it, share about it with others, then you're going to be stuck with the reality that you're already in. You know, the act of going into discomfort is kind of that burning process we were talking about with the Phoenix rising, right? It's in that discomfort that it's going to give you the ability to let go of those views, perspectives that no longer work for you or no longer work for the company. And when you do that, the results are, are just transformative. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. I think, and I think it also, I think you talk about here, you know, when you talk about street gang, I think indirectly you're also talking about having mentors, right? People who yep. can actually guide you through this process. Because if you're trying to do yeah. this alone by yourself, you know, you can't, right? It's impossible. You need yeah. somebody yeah. else to kind of shine the light on what's possible and eliminating yeah. some of those cobwebs in your mind. So right. when it comes to mentors, what kind of mentors do you seek out in your life? Well, so, so a couple of things. First is um, a lot of people will bring up self-accountability, like, oh, I can hold myself accountable for this. And I think that's true if you want to maintain the status quo. You know, if you've always grown your business 20% every year, year on year for the last decade, chances are you're going to be able to do it next year without having needing somebody to hold you accountable. Or if you go for a run five days a week and that's your goal and you've been doing it for a while, well, you're probably going to be able to continue to do it. But when you stretch, when you really want to grow, you want to transform something about yourself or the business, you need somebody outside of yourself to your point shaker that can be a, a lens back to you. Because as you're in that discomfort, everything in your conscious mind is to going to tell you, don't go back. It's impossible. You can't, you shouldn't, you're going to look bad. You're going to damage your relationships. You're going to damage your career. And those things may or may not be true, but that person outside of yourself is going to be able to see you and your situation much more clearly than you ever will. So that outside accountability is key. There's three other roles in the street gang that I think are important. And shake you name one of them is, is mentorship. Somebody that is in the field that you're in that can provide some specialized knowledge in terms of where you want to go and maybe even some connections. Um, you know, Dad, you, you know this, but you've always been a, a mentor of mine in terms of, you know, what kind of person I want to be, what values I want to live by. Uh, I've got many speaker friends that are much more successful than me that are showing me the way and, you know, helping me grow my speaking and workshop business. So that mentorship, that specialized knowledge is really key. And there's a, a couple other things that are important. One, totally underrated, I think, in most businesses, although I would say in most high performing 
cultures, you have a lot of it, which is love and acceptance, not in a romantic kind of way, but a, a mutual commitment, a love of the humanity, the love of the underlying human that's doing the work that may fail and going through that with them. And the, the fourth role of the, the street gang is inspiration. Something, somebody uh, that's really going to light the fire inside of you, that gives you that why, that purpose. So when you are in those tough times, you have something inside of yourself as the reason to keep going. It's not outside. It's not circumstantial. So I think with those four things, like you can't help but transform an individual with those in place. Stephanie, you're being awful quiet. She's like, I, I am getting on this street gang thing. I am taking it all in. But I was wondering, while we're talking here. Um, I, I, Sterling, what role does ego play in all of this? Because ego a lot of times stands in the way of people's growth. So what role do you see that playing? I, I think you said it. You knocked it out of the park <laughs> on your first thing, Stephanie. <laughs> but but I, I, would, I would take it a, a level deeper. Like your, your ego is basically just the, the views and perspectives you have about yourself that you hold to be true. And when you refuse to let go of those things, you refuse to move on from the ways of being and acting and thinking that got you to where you are, but are not going to get you to the next level, then that is exactly what's going to keep you stuck. Now, most people, most companies will spend a lot of their time defending the ego, and what that looks like in companies is exactly what we talked about. We're not the kind of company to implement this new technology. Um, our technology team is too busy. They're overwhelmed. Well, yeah, and they have been for the last 10 years. And you're defending views about yourself and your organization that may have been true at one point, but by hanging on to them, by refusing to push past that ego or the limiting belief, you're just sentencing yourself to the same results you already have. So well said. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> my, my job is done here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you think, Stephanie. <laughs> right. So, well, I think yeah. Stephanie is, is not a stranger to this. She's gotten a tattoo, so she knows how to speak her mind and commit to something. <laughs> so it, 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 that's right. A tattoo. Right. Yeah. I love Actually, that. A lot, love of that. This, a lot of this uh, goes along with yogic philosophy and all sitting in discomfort and the only way to move through it to grow is to move through it instead of resisting it. And actually the resistance is worse for us than actually going into the discomfort. There's, there's no question. And, you know, I think to what you just said, Shaker, that commitment, it's the second step in the hunting discomfort book, the second step in kind of how we approach creating change. And when you get a tattoo, you commit in a way where there's no going back. It's what drives you forward, calls you forward when it's easier to turn back. And there's two kinds of things that are worth noting that we can commit to. And this comes from uh, Paul Tillich, the German-American philosopher and theologian. And he said, you know, the first thing, the first concern that humans have, something that we deal with are finite things about how much money we're going to make, how many people we need to hire, how many stores we need to open, how many technologies we need to launch. Like there's specific things that have to happen and we can and we should be committing to those things. But what often we lose sight of as individuals and as companies is what Tillage would call your ultimate concern. 
things that no matter what happens, they can never be taken away from you. Things like love, joy, gratitude, and peace. And somewhat ironically, when we commit to those ultimate concerns, the things that really matter to us in the end of the day, the kind of things where you're on your deathbed and you're looking back, you're saying, that's what actually mattered to me. When we commit to those things, it makes achieving the finite goals that we have much more attainable. And we'll attain them in, in simpler, better, smarter, more innovative ways. Love that. I think that's, I think it's basically about uh, keeping what matters in focus. You know, everything right. else kind of melts away. And I mean, there's an old uh, Indian fable about this archer who's learning to shoot uh, well. And yeah. the coach asks him, uh, he's, he's trying to aim at a, uh, the eye of a bird, interesting mm -hmm. bird's eye. <laughs> Yeah, right? and, and he, so he's <laughs> Ikea. Funny you bring up the story shaker. <laughs> I know, right? So, so, but, but you know, he asks him, "What do you see?" He says, "I see the eye of the bird." He says, "Do you see anything else?" He says, "No, I only see the eye of the bird." And I guess, yeah. you know, when you when you focus on what matters, everything else kind of melts away in, yep. in some sense, right? It, it really comes into focus, and I think we've seen that so many times in you know in, in organizations that read you know stories about companies that focus around a vision and don't worry about what the competition does. And I think even right. Simon's next book, The Infinite Games, kind of talking about the same concept around, yep. you know, focus on what you can control, what you're good at. And don't worry about copying anybody else. Right. And, and yeah. it seems like that has, that's all, it's all kind of tied in Sterling in some, mm -hmm. some way with what you're talking about this, this concept of becoming successful, the patterns all over the place that are so similar. It's astounding. Yeah. Like I, I wish discomfort wasn't the way I really do. Like, it, it's not like I'm out there wishing discomfort on myself <laughs> and other people just from my own lived experience and, you know, countless other people that are way smarter, more grounded in brain science and research case studies and everything else that I've been lucky enough to be able to draw on. It just turns out that discomfort is the way there's just no two ways about it. Sterling, is there a part of you though, that when you see a challenge where you know there's going to be discomfort that you get a little excited because you have the tools and you're like, how am I going to do this this time? Sometimes, but I, I'm not like a adrenaline junkie. I, okay. I was down in Mexico giving a keynote a couple of weeks ago and this guy comes up to me afterwards. He's like, Sterling, the shark diving, the skydiving, trek the Sahara, like <laughs> all these things you've done, like you must be one of those adrenaline junkies. And I'm like, I'm not. Frankly, a lot of those things intimidate me. They scare me. Uh, and some of the things I would frankly rather not do. But I've just learned that the more I do those things, especially challenging things, things that make me really uncomfortable, it's become a, a reliable way to, to go back to what you said, Stephanie, break my ego, break the views that I'm hanging on to that I don't know that I'm hanging on to. And by going through some of those more challenging things, it's a, a way for me to let go more and more. And it's hugely powerful. I, so I look at these things and I'm like, eh, I, I'm not sure I can do this, but I'm going to give it a try. And yeah. you do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, I've heard so many stories about uh, your your century bike rides and triple bypass <laughs> that you guys have been through. And clearly, yeah. you know, uh, you've got to be hunting discomfort to be able to do things like that. <laughs> yeah, sitting on a bike seat for a hundred miles, let alone 120 miles and up and down mountain passes. 
It's discomfort. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I can imagine that. Can imagine. Yeah, but it, it, it's not all success. You, you right. know, there, there's a lot of pain and a tremendous amount of failure that goes through that. One that comes to mind, Dad, is, is remember when I was training for the triple bypass and you were going to meet me in a town, you know, somewhere a, a couple of mountain passes over. And, you know, I'd ridden something like 60 or 70 miles four or 5,000, 6,000 feet of elevation gain. And I came to this pass and I'm looking up at this mountain and I almost broke down into tears. I'm like, I, I can't like, I'm, I'm drained. I'm not, I wasn't properly uh, eating and drinking. Like I, I didn't have some of those mechanics worked out and it, it broke me. And that experience I point to as something that I got more out of than when I actually finished that 100 mile bike ride through the Rockies. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you learn more in the valleys than you do at the peaks, right? So I think if if you let yourself feel the pain, I, I think, you know, if you ex externalize the failure and you say, I failed because we didn't have the right budget or, you know, my boss wasn't right or our culture wasn't right. Like if you're pushing the failure onto other things, other people, other situations, you will literally get nothing out of it. Now, again, Stephanie, you're like the hero of this podcast because it will keep your ego safe, right? When you externalize failure, it will keep your ego safe, but it will also keep you stuck. Right. At what I, I think that's a key piece right. of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, this is, this is terrific. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to have you talk about, you know, there's probably also a bunch of, you know, startup CEOs in the retail sector, some of them who listen to this podcast. And, you know, mm. as a CEO, you're thinking about how to drive the vision forward. How do I 10X this company? And how do I, yeah. how do we grow, explode? So yeah. you know, how do you put hunting discomfort in that perspective? I mean, what does that mean to, you know, for, from a growth perspective? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a couple of things. One is you're only going to be as good a leader as you're willing to look at your own discomfort. And, and so diving into that discomfort, not just in the specific situations of the things that, you know, maybe cause a little fear inside of you, but where those things actually started. You know, every discomfort is rooted somewhere. And as we can get closer to that root of the discomfort, we can start to dismantle it from the source. Could be something when you first started with the company, when you were first hired, or it might even be something that happened when you were a kid. But getting into that discomfort, I think, is, is critical for all of us as leaders, especially if we're knowing, expecting, wanting to teach our teams and our cultures to be able to do that same thing. The second is, and I think this is hugely lost in, in retail, especially grocery retail, especially, is what is the reason that you're doing some of these things to begin with? It goes back to Tillage's work, right? Like what ultimately matters in the end? And so many retail CEOs, especially, and you know, people in general are so busy with the finite of I've got to deliver this and do that. And I'm too busy here and I can't go there. And, you know, I'm not going to commit because I'm worried if I'm going to be able to actually do it. When Really, there's something greater that's important to you. And I think founders of companies, probably many of them know this intuitively. Like there's something inside of them that's lit the fire that keeps them going through the hardest times. And I think the longer companies been around, more and more people start to forget what that really is. And as you can connect to what is ultimately important to you as a leader, as an individual, 
that really should be the ultimate intent of your company. That should be what many grocers would call out there uh, a mission. Your mission is not something that you've wordsmithed into something perfect for your website. It's not something you've hired an agency for to read really nicely for Wall Street. Your mission is what your mission is in this lifetime. And when you can get connected to that and articulate that for your team, that's what's really going to get people going. More than money, more than fear, more than anything else. And that really starts to build out what I call a, a business blueprint for how to run your organization, right? It starts with the company's ultimate intent, it then gets into a declaration of the future. You would call it a vision, your values, not just as something we've intellectualized or put on the website, but something that we're holding each other accountable to be living true to. And that, I think if a retailer of any size did that, like articulated some of those things and held each other accountable to living that way, they would see incredible results. All right. So coming back to this book, when yeah. did you start thinking about it? When did you start thinking about writing it and how long did it take you to actually make it happen? And uh, what audience did you have in mind, Sterling? That was my question. Yeah. So I've been thinking about it for about a, a decade or so in some shape or form, you know, throwing some notes here, writing on note cards there, putting in a journal, some thoughts over here. I've got more Google Docs than I can even keep track of with the beginnings of a book. And, you know, as I was sharing about 18 months ago, it was time for me to kind of put pen to paper and get my own tattoo, right? Commit and sign the contracts to actually write the book. And who I was thinking about are our leaders, uh, leaders by um, definition on their business card. You know, I'm the CEO, I'm the CFO, I'm the COO, I'm, I'm a leader in this company because it says so on my business card, but really more so leaders in the sense of people that want to make change. They want to make a difference no matter what their business card says, and no matter what level they're at. And as I started to think about these people, I, I started to write. And it was really only, I think I did the whole thing shaker in like 16 months, something like that. I'm told it was a breakneck pace for uh, publishing a book from you know, some ideas to actually getting a book out the door. And it did feel crazy fast going through the whole thing. I mean, I was writing a chapter a week for a while. Wow. Yeah. Pretty yeah. awesome. Pretty yeah. Awesome. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am with how positively it's been received from people. You know, as dad, you, you said we've got articles in great publications and five star reviews on Amazon and, um, you know, tremendous feedback. But what means the most to me, are leaders of companies, leaders of communities, even leaders of families that are writing me personally or writing me on Instagram or Facebook or sending me an email saying, here's what this did for me. Here's how I saw myself in this work. Here's where I've been stuck. Here's what I'm doing. And in some cases, here's the incredible result that I'm producing. And that's been the, the most meaningful part of this for me. So meaningful, I might even do it again. I was just going to ask, what's next? What's the, title of the, next, <laughs> what's the next book coming out? Well, it's going to be a little while. I mean, I'm only uh, 10 days out from getting this one published. So, <laughs> I, you know, I've got a, a lot of... I have a title suggestion, Hunting More Discomfort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you joke, that's actually one of the titles we were kicking around. 
And it could be something like hunting peace, because that's really what this is about at the end of the day, getting discomfort out of the way. Um, it'll probably be about, I don't know, 18 months, two years, maybe longer before I get another book out the door. Cause you know, I'm busy with keynotes and podcasts and book signings and all these things that uh, go around launching the book. But there's, I don't know, Sheikh, if you got into the end of the book where I talk about surrender, like the fifth component of no matter what, but if the way out is through the way through is to surrender. Right. And I got a lot out of uh, Carl Jung's quote, well, well, all of his work. I mean, he's like the father of psychology in a lot of ways, but he said, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation about not having enough time, money, resources, not having the right boss, not having the right personality, condemnation about any of those things does not liberate. It confines. And, you know, to me, that was the hardest part of the book to write. I think that's the most important part of the book. And if I did another book, it would be specifically going into that at a deeper level. Yeah, no, I, terrific. Absolutely. I mean, I read Thank a quote you. the other day, which really stayed with me. It says, we can experience nothing but the present moment, live in no other second of time. And to understand that is as close as we can get to eternal life. It's just, so. you know, it's being able to live in that moment, experience it, face what you have to face at that point in time and get through yeah. it. And I, you know, I think you know, I can't wait to get through the end of the book. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff, but I'm going to, obviously, we're not going to let out all the secrets in the book. We're going to yeah. <laughs> get it for themselves. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you something else. Um, you know, as I was saying in the beginning, we've constructed our, our lives and our business to avoid discomfort. One of the things that you can grab for free uh, on my website, if you haven't done it already, is the hunting discomfort quiz. And it's 15 questions, take you a couple of minutes to start to unearth that discomfort that you've been avoiding. So I'd offer that as, as kind of a, a tag along to the book as and well. And that website is sterlinghawkins.com or? You got it. Sterlinghawkins.com. All the stuff about me can be found there. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, this has been such a special podcast. I mean, you know, this is definitely, Stephanie, we got to highlight it on the retail perch page, right? Push it right up to the top. Uh, Right up my own. And I think what makes this even more special is, of course, Sterling, we've known each other for a number of years. And, and, you know, and and I think in all the times that I've seen you, uh, you know, obviously I didn't know what you went through in those periods of time, but there's been a certain sameness to you, which I think is a huge credit to the way you carry yourself and how you you look at life. So congratulations and uh, wish you tremendous success with this book. And certainly I'm going to be pushing this out to the rest of my family to read. So. Oh, awesome. I I appreciate that. And I uh, appreciate being on this journey. Uh, uh, well, w- with all of us here, it's uh, it's a mountain I'm still climbing, and I think we all will, at least if we we want growth in our future. Terrific. Well, Stephanie, should we, you want to close this out? <laughs> Grand sure. finale, Stephanie. Let's go. <laughs> no pressure, though. No pressure. Well, thank you to all our listeners. Thank you to Gary and Shaker, and most of all, thank you to Sterling for uh, bringing us this book and your outlook on life and and challenges. Um, this is actually really great. It's very, you know, a little bit outside what we usually do. So 
And I know, I know Shaker was loving it because he loves a good philosophical conversation. Good, good. Well, well we can get into it again anytime, Shaker, on or offline. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, I think we've got to thank the original OG, which would be Gary. That's right. <laughs> hey. would, literally would not be here without him. That's right. That's right. Literally wouldn't be here without him. But, you know, we just have fun on these podcasts and Gary's just uh, the best co-host you could possibly get. So... And Stephanie, thank you for putting all this together. You guys are amazing. Certainly so much fun. Can't wait to see you on keynotes across the world here. And hopefully one of these days, um, we'll have a keynote speaker at our internal company meeting, Gary, and we'll invite Sterling in to be the keynote. Let's do it. I'd love it. (laughs) Perfect. All right, guys. Uh, For all of you out there, thank you so much for supporting the Retail Perch. And uh, you guys have been terrific. And we're going to keep coming back with you with the most amazing guests. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>